Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, a daily rundown of all things Vice. I'm Jesse Maiko. This Thanksgiving, we are going into the archives to bring you some of our favorite interviews with artists from around the world. In this episode, we caught up with Afghan-American artist Aman Majedidi in Paris to discuss how his environment influences his artistic approach and how he's been able to use sarcasm to address sensitive issues about war and conflict. My name is Aman Mujedidi. I work as a visual artist. I'm very influenced by my environment, which is why I've gotten very much into site-specific installation projects. I've done projects in India, Dubai, the UK, at the Imperial War Museum North. I don't really have that much of a workspace anymore, and since a lot of what I do are these site-specific projects, I kind of conceptualize from home, but all of the kind of Actual installation, uh, production, and material sourcing uh, all happens on site. I was born in Jacksonville, Florida, to Afghan parents. My uncle became president of Afghanistan for a very brief period of time until he passed the baton to the next person in line. My first time going to Afghanistan, I'm with some of the Mujahideen of my uncle's militia. And I think it was the first time that I also looked and I said, okay, I might be Afghan, but I'm not that kind of Afghan. I really got interested in kind of biculturalism and people refer to me as Afghan-American. What is that hyphen actually trying to express or carry in terms of uh, one's identity? I ended up doing all of my studies in cultural anthropology and I use ideas and theories of cultural anthropology as well as ethnographic methods, interviews, qualitative research to create artworks. One of the things you hear a lot when you're, when you're in Afghanistan, particularly from people who fought in the jihad against the Soviet Union in the 80s, you hear them say, I did jihad for 10 years, and so I deserve X, Y, and Z. You see these ostentatious houses that belong to some of these jihadi gangsters. You see these guys within politics. And so that's when I started to think about bling in the West and the whole notion of bling and how it's also used for showing one's kind of position. In 2009, I came up with this project called Conflict Bling, where I kind of blinged out a prosthetic leg, several different objects. And then once I did that work, uh, I kind of started to think about who would be wearing this Conflict Bling, right? You know, none other than, say, a jihadi gangster, right? So I kind of came up with this persona of some of the real jihadi gangsters that you would come across in Afghanistan. It was a series of kind of mise-en-scene photos of the jihadi gangster in different scenarios around town. So a lot of it was trying to kind of like explore the ways in which um, a sense of jihadism could be equated with this uh, very Western understanding of, uh, of gold bling. The kind of final culmination of the Jihadi Gangster series was a faux run for parliament for this character, Jihadi Gangster. So you have here, vote for me, I've done jihad and I'm rich. In the face here, Chere Delhoy Jihadi Shema, so your favorite jihadi face here, so that people could actually put in whatever jihadi they had in mind uh, that they thought was the most corrupt or the most violent. So the whole poster is modeled on actual posters. 
in Afghanistan. And usually it's a rainbow or a flag or uh, a sky uh, in the red, black, and green. And so mine are obviously dollar signs and AK-47s. And this one did uh, apparently raise the attention of the authorities and the Electoral Commission in Kabul. They found the work to be insulting to national heroes. There was an investigation that started, but very quickly the Electoral Commission found themselves having to deal with actual instances of fraud and problems with the elections, you know, and so this kind of issue fell off very quickly. You know, visually, these things are, are really great because you go in there and, I mean, there's tons of stuff. The Afghan by blood redneck by the grace of God was trying to point a finger at the absurdity of some of the U.S. presence in the country. Uh, you know, so many Americans that I had met who were from, I don't know, Kentucky, Nebraska, back home, they would be complete racists against Afghans. But here, they're making tons of money as part of this, you know, war economy. And so now they're living in this same place. I wanted to kind of put this character in these very kind of traditional locales just to create that very um, odd juxtapositioning uh, between the two. There's this kind of guerrilla tactic that you just kind of go out, you just kind of do it. Uh, this one was uh, Afghan fried chicken. And uh, I think what's interesting about this one is that a lot of folks, when they, when they look at this, uh, when they look at this, you know, there's not a lot that you can see unless you start to look closely at at some of the writing, uh, you know, on the wall there or in the sign here. Even the Afghan fried chicken is quite subtle, you know, on the box and on the sign to tell you that it's actually, you know, in Afghanistan, in Kabul. There is a lot of sarcastic humor that comes through in the work that I've done. George Bernard Shaw says that if you're going to tell the truth, you better make people laugh, otherwise they'll kill you. There's a lot of truth to that idea. So perhaps part of why I used humor in some of the works was to kind of negotiate that, to navigate that potential danger that I might have been putting myself in by addressing these highly sensitive issues. Conflict Chic 1 and 2 was essentially trying to look at that way in which war can become glamorized, but through uh, fashion. There's the one for soldiers, and then you have the suicide bombers. So a part of that was how so much of the media was so interested in what was going on in that place, not just because it was Afghanistan, but because of the war that was happening there, it was the conflict that drew people there, you know? I stayed based in Kabul until the end of 2013, which is when then uh, I came and settled in Paris. It was after that that a real shift kind of happened in my work where I kind of moved more into site-specific installation work, dealing with more broader kind of global politics. So a big part of it was to force myself out and really kind of like challenge myself to see what other kinds of works I could, I could create. A lot of our closest friends here are actually friends that we made in Kabul, uh, who have now kind of relocated back to France, both Afghan and French. You've always had kind of a heightened police presence in this area. You have a lot of people getting stopped, their papers getting checked. What I've been working on a lot is um, looking at kind of migration politics in the last couple of years. And I did a residency in Dubai where I kind of explored uh, the politics of uh, migrant construction workers. Since then, now, I did a site-specific project that dealt with migration, but through the lens of departing Guantanamo Bay detainees. Essentially, what I found really interesting about detainees who are leaving Guantanamo Bay is that many of them, their home countries, don't accept them back. And so what happens is you have the U.S. trying to find countries who will give them political asylum. So I was interested in this kind of very twisted and distorted migration story. 
commodified, looking at this kind of commodification of conflict that I did in the gift shop of the Imperial War Museum North in Manchester. Basically, I had these alternative merchandise products, you know, on my table, which was within eyeshot of the actual gift shop of the Imperial War Museum. People found it to be offensive, trivializing the trauma of war. So there were a couple of days where the director of the museum was like, well, I don't know. And it became a bit dubious as to whether I was actually going to be able to do the work. After the exhibition was over, I was invited back for a panel discussion. And the same director came up to me and said, in the end, your installation ended up being one of the most popular ones because it generated the most discussion. So it was very interesting to see how it went from almost being censored to actually being kind of lauded by the museum as one of the more intriguing pieces of the show. I haven't used a lot of humor in other projects that I've done since then. I don't know if I was to do a work now that used humor to try and address the kind of recent attacks in Paris, I don't even know if it would work. Since the Charlie Hebdo attacks, I become asked uh, if I live here and if I do, if I have proof or evidence of it. So I'm being asked to show my kind of residency card uh, now uh, when I come and go. I've, I did have issue recently trying to buy a plane ticket. I was trying to buy the exact same ticket that my wife was buying, and she was able to make her uh, purchase and I wasn't. Her name being very, uh, very typically French name and uh, my name not. Essentially, you have a lot of Muslims living in these neighborhoods who become really concerned, right, about what, uh, what are gonna be the repercussions, what are gonna be the attitudes uh, towards them through everything that's going on. I think that's going to become fodder uh, for creating uh, maybe interesting projects. Having seen how things evolved in the U.S. after 9-11, heightened kind of like fear that then eventually became a bit more diluted and more kind of uh, reasonable and rational. Um, I'll be curious to see what kind of trajectory things take here over time. All right, that's it for now. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Aman Majedidi's work, go to vice.com. And tune in again tomorrow when we'll be back with our usual format for another Vice Guide to Right Now. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.